I'm Travis Sigley, and today you'll hear my story on San Francisco People. Hey everyone, welcome to San Francisco People. This is Frank Garza, and I want to start by telling you guys the story of how I met today's guest, Travis Sigley, because it's a great example of turning lemons into lemonade. I reached out to Sarah Fryer to see if she'd be a guest on the show. Now, Sarah's a tech reporter for Bloomberg News in San Francisco. Go check out her work if you haven't yet because she's really talented and she puts out really great content. I love following her on Twitter. Um, but unfortunately, Sarah wasn't able to do the podcast. That's the lemons. But she offered to recommend some other interesting people for the show. And soon thereafter, I got an email from her recommending Travis. And I'm just going to read this email to you because she does such a great job of summarizing what makes Travis so interesting in just uh, a simple paragraph. So here's the email. Hi, Frank. Travis Sigley is one of the more interesting people I know in San Francisco. He's not in the tech scene at all, nobody I've ever covered. He's just an interesting person I met years ago with a lot of friends and a good story. Some intriguing things. He founded Cuddle Therapy, where he makes money by charging to cuddle people. He recently started wearing shirts after not wearing them for eight years. He runs a tea shop. He's very San Francisco. And there it was. Lemons to lemonade right there. I mean, who would read that email and then not want to talk to this guy? So I emailed Travis and he invited me down to the tea house he opened up recently called the Tea Oasis. And it's a really beautiful space. Uh, we sat down in there on a Monday morning, uh, sipped some tea, and chatted about cuddle therapy, his eight shirtless years, and the tea house. And in case you need even more entertainment than that, we talked about his time as a stripper, the time he was surrounded by Metro Police in Paris, his recent topless tea party, and if he could cuddle with one person in San Francisco, if he could pick out anybody he wanted to cuddle with in San Francisco, who would that person be? He tells me that on the show. Oh yeah, this is good. And we also talk about the Lower Haight, which is the neighborhood where Travis lives. So he shares his favorite spots there and throughout San Francisco. Let's go talk to Travis. talk about the cuddle therapy mm -hmm. business that you started and what led to that and i've, I've read multiple there's a, there's a lot of information lot, on yeah, you out there <laughs> yeah um so i've read that you at some point became a stripper mm -hmm. and um some insights from that job mm -hmm. kind of led you down that path i also heard that you had some health issues um that allowed you to like get form better relationships and connections and that led led you so in your own words, I guess, sure. what is it that you think led to, to starting Cuddle Therapy? Yeah, there, there ended up being a lot. Um, and one of one of which I, I was I was doing the stripping work when I was going through school, kind of like, you know, the the typical stripper story of dancing and Need paying some for money. school. Right, exactly. All right. Um, and it was fun. I just love dancing. I, I, I love that. Um, I didn't realize I love performance, but I love that too. So it was a whole other like 
world of of expansion exploration and and ways of having fun and making money mm-hmm. and that was the first kind of aha moment of being able to do that um of just like enjoying my experience of work all the time um and one of the biggest things i noticed there very quickly uh was that so many of the people that came into the the club were really just looking for human connection it wasn't at all about the sexuality or objectification or wanting to look or anything. It was just really about being lonely um, Mm -hmm. and not having an outlet to express and experience this kind of stuff outside of paying for it. Like I will pay you to be close to me and talk to me and hang out. Um, And, and so it was a really, really fascinating study on, on like that was, I'm kind of an experiential learner and that was a big study in human psychology Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what was so fascinating about it. And I, turned that inspiration to starting this cuddling um business because a lot of a lot of people there that's like they would just want to cuddle and talk that mm-hmm. was a huge like huge theme right. uh, there and and it's it, it was something that kind of blew my mind that people have to go into like a strip club or the sex industry in order to get some of their touch and intimacy and connection needs met because it just doesn't it isn't available in the way we live culture unless we have a particular makeup of life right um nor do we get to learn any of the tools or develop emotional or social intelligence to be comfortable to interact with people that way and and develop like quick and safe bonds and trust with people um so that that's kind of what feeds this whole world um and this whole industry and i thought people don't need to go into the sex industry to get their intimacy needs met. Like that's a very separate thing. And the problem is as a culture, we don't necessarily separate those things. Um, so I wanted to just kind of start something new and see, just see what happens, you know, print out some business cards and say that I, that I do it and start exploring it. And, and I was doing it. I had a lot of experience doing it in in the club. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I wanted to branch out and, and try it outside of that and see when the context is shifted, how does the work shift? Um, and that was a, a big, a big part of the kind yeah. of how that began. Yeah. So you hear about all of these far out business ideas that people try, mm-hmm. you know, and they work, but I mean, this one, this one's way out there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I'm trying to picture what it was like, you know, you, you obviously, you, you get the sense that people, there's a need for this. There's a demand for this, mm-hmm. but when you start I guess promoting it, publicizing it and getting the word out there. I would imagine people think that's a little weird. Sure. Um, what kind of responses did you get early on? Was it a, you know, you're nuts or were people like really supportive and, and, and thought it was going to work? Um, well, luckily and, and part of the beauty of San Francisco is people are pretty open-minded here. Right. So, um, and which is, an interesting culture to test because I would like to see, well, where are, the, where are the boundaries and the walls of like what's too far out even for San Francisco? Um, not, ne- not necessarily that, that was the intention of this business, but it provided uh, an environment and a city that just in general could have been supportive for it. Um, but honestly, when I when I went out into the world and, and spoke with people, they were really supportive of it. Like, wow, this is this is really incredible work and really like they understood the need for it and they understood the challenge of getting it to be a thing because it's so not available and we're so far removed from it, let alone to pay for it. Um, that this, this basic idea of, of human touch as, as a foundational human need, uh, is pretty well understood here. So there was a lot of support and there were, there were a couple people, um, over the course of the last six, seven years since I started this, that 
really had a lot of resistance to it and didn't think intimacy and touch and cuddling should be something that's paid for, um, which is a totally valid and, and legitimate response. Um, and, and, and my retort to that is always uh, that I would rather someone um, pays for it and has access to it than not accessing it at all. Um, and mainly because I've, I've, I'm in the sessions, I experience them. I, I see how, how profound of an, of an impact it has on my clients because this is the only place they get it in their life. Um, and it just kind of washes over and helps all parts of their life. And just to be able to get out of the space of, of anxiety, that kind of like hyper fast paced culture, uh, especially in San Francisco and the Bay area, mm-hmm. uh, can promote. So how does it work? You say you make an app- one-on-one appointment with somebody, mm-hmm. you knock on their door. Um, take me through what a, what a typical session is like. Sure. Somebody. Sure. Um, yeah, they knock on their door, they come to my studio, whichever. Um, but then we just kind of sit and talk for a little bit. Uh, just have a little bit of casual conversation, ice breaking. It kind of goes differently with each, with different people. Some people are really relaxed and easy about it and they understand like, Oh no problem. I'm, I, I get what the service is all about. Some people are really nervous coming, coming into it. Um, and just having like little casual talk helps ease and like break the ice and just kind of relax into this stranger that's in their house. that's about to cuddle with them that they're they're paying, you know, it's, it's, it's a very odd thing to wrap their head around. Um, but, but ultimately I, I I just didn't have conversations around, um, whatever they kind of bring up and develop a, a, a relationship of understanding and being able to kind of see where one another's coming from and just, you know, develop rapport, um, and that sense of connection and trust. Uh, and then after that for a little bit, just kind of like the natural intake process, then I'll ask some questions about kind of what it is that they're needing this for, you know, why they called me. It's a very particular service. Um, and then walk them through the session itself, uh, and then ask if they have any other questions and then just have, have the session. Um, and what the session looks like, what I tell them, like when I walk them through it, uh, is we'll just kind of sit for a second and uh, we'll sit for a second and, and close our eyes and just take a few deep breaths to relax because often people are really nervous mm-hmm. um, and just settle in for a minute. Uh, and then after a while, just kind of lay back and say, we're going to start the session and um, and start cuddling. And in the midst of, of the session, really anything goes. I mean, I'm very clear around the, the sexual and hygienic boundaries uh, even before I get there uh, over the phone or whatever. But... Um, but as long as they're within those boundaries, you can talk, you can relax, you can talk about your problems, you can say nothing the entire time, um, you can make any request for me to massage or rub or touch, you know, somewhere that's non-erogenous uh, in their body, and and just be there. I'm I'm really there to support them and and to just hold them literally, um, and help them help them relax and just take a second for themselves because so few people get a chance to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. I definitely picked up on when I read through your website Mm -hmm. that you continuously emphasize that, you know, this is cuddling and touching in a non-sexual nature Mm -hmm. and there's boundaries and, you know, you're very clear on that. Do people have a hard time separating the two? Um, I know earlier you were kind of talking about how, you know, that's one of the challenges with just, I guess, people, Mm -hmm. right, is separating touch from like sexual um in your sessions do you find people 
have a hard time with that? No, not really. Um, kind of the, the reason why it was a slow to start business is because there's such deep ingrained culture of sexuality and touch and intimacy being, um, the same thing mm-hmm. according to what we, we perceive. But when people are at the point where they're ready to hire someone to do this and kind of invite this into their space, it's very clear that it's they're they're wanting something that's not sexual. You know, there's there's this deep craving in people's lives that they do want touch and intimacy and affection and to just be held and to relax and slow down. And there's a lot of people that just want just want cuddling. Um, you know, I, I I would argue all of us at some point in our lives, um, and and because it's so clear around what those boundaries are no one would hire me to get sexually frustrated. You know, (laughs) like it's, it it seems a little off for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So it's, it's, it's really clear in the sessions. People totally get it. And and it's it's exactly what they need, which is why they bring me in. Okay. Mm -hmm. What type of, I want to ask you like what type of clients, what your typical clientele is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, just me sitting here thinking, I'm thinking, all right, uh, people who maybe have gotten out of a relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, and are, and are just really lonely or, um, people just going through various problems in their life just need to be held. I mean, is there a typical client that you have? Um, there, there are some themes certainly that you kind of touched on those, any kind of big transitions in life, um, and feeling isolated and lonely through those transitions. So being out of a relationship is one of those, um, or any kind of like new problems. There are people that have come in with, with health, health issues and that they're not coming to me to like fix their health issues they're coming to me to help help them relax and not stress out and freak out about the fact that they're going through these things and just take a second to um, uh, to, to de-stress because that's stress is one of the worst things that can happen in your body, especially when you're having problems. Uh, and that coupled with any any um, medical stuff is, is going to really, uh, really make it much harder to recover from. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that and just general loneliness and isolation. People that have been single and not, haven't had a partner for a really long time and don't have a community or a friend circle or a group of people that they can really, really be close with and, and touch, um, and close in any version of it, not just touching them, but like really being emotional and open right. and, and being able to connect with them. Uh, a lot of people just don't have that, you know, it's, it's a lot of kind of baseline, somewhat shallow relationships and, and groups of friends. And it's, it's again, understandable. We, we don't, we're not told and, and shown and given the tools how to really deeply connect and, and trust one another and develop relationships in that kind of way. Um, we naturally do because we're inclined and, and need to do it for healthy survival, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not something we're shown how to do. So it's, it's not overly common. Is it both men and women mm-hmm. that uh, come to you? Yep. I see, I see more women than I do men. Um, and usually because touch and sexuality are still so intertwined, Usually sexual orientation is someone who is attracted to men since I'm in a male body. Right. Um, but there have been some, some, some gay women and some straight men that have come to see me and it's been really, it's been actually really profound for them. Uh, cause generally there's this kind of arm's length distance, if not two arm's length distance from <laughs> people that they're not sexually attracted to. Um, uh, and again, another understandable thing that's happening, uh, since intimacy and sex are so, so close. Um, but that's, that's usually very, very profound sessions for people cause they never, they never 
do that. They would never cuddle with a man if they're yeah. not a, They not would never go over to their buddy's house, them. turn on the game, and be like, you know, we should cuddle on the totally. couch and watch yeah. this together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I think that would be um You think that would be, you think useful. people should do that, yeah. Uh, I, we're, we're a few steps away from that. Uh, right. Eventually, when, when we're able to desexualize touch, I think if they do it now, it's too confusing. Uh, and it's, it's way too much going on to think about that being a thing. And there's still going to be a lot of shame wrapped up in that. And it's in, in an ideal world. Sure. Absolutely. I think that would be great. But, um, I, I, I think that's unrealistic to expect currently. All right. Mm-hmm. So how many, if you had to ballpark guess, how many people have you cuddled with to uh, do this profession? Uh, professionally? Pro- okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pro- professional cuddles only. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, gosh, um, I mean, hundreds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I would imagine you're cuddling with hundreds of, of people mm-hmm. that there's gotta be some interesting, um, things that have happened, some interesting characters you've met, some emotional moments you've been a part of both mm-hmm. probably happy and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any particular you know, sessions or clients or stories that really stand out to you when you think back on all the cuddling you've mm-hmm. done. <laughs> there, there are a couple of, of, of them that really stand out. Um, one in particular, and I've spoken to this a few times in different interviews, but I don't think anyone's actually, um, written about it or shared about it. But, uh, there was a client in one of my workshops actually that I, there's, we kind of break off and do some cuddling at the end of it. And, uh, she approached me and asked me to cuddle with her while, while we were in the in the kind of like cuddle time after the workshop. Um, and while we were while we were laying there, she um, was expressing to me that she felt this lightness and openness in her chest, um, and it just kind of like she was able to relax into that. And it's it was so profound because she'd felt it chronically since she was six or seven she'd never not felt tightness in her chest it was Mm. a chronic condition that she had um every day of of her life um pretty much say for the first few years um but for as long as she could remember and just being with her through the transition process of that not being a thing anymore and coming out of a a chronic sensation and and having a different bodily experience uh, and seeing that as a possibility um, was a pretty was a pretty profound experience to to watch her and to be there with her and to see see how potent the capacity of like relaxing and, and trusting someone can can change your physiological state um, to something that had been there forever and obviously I, that's not the only thing that's happened clearly it's been a lot of work building up to it because right. um, I've had chronic pain in in my own life too and it took a lot of work over years to kind of finally come to a place of of being pain free. Um, but it was still really fascinating to be there in that moment of, of shift. Cause I remember when I was not in pain for the first time in four years, it was a very strange, didn't f- quite understand what was happening kind of experience. Um, cause I was expecting it forever cause it's been so long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes you appreciate your health. Mm-hmm. I, that's one of the things I always, um, notice whenever I get sick, whenever I get a cold, mm-hmm. just that little bit of uncomfortableness can make you feel so crappy. And then mm-hmm. when you're like just normal and healthy again, it feels amazing. Yeah. It feels like and you're so superhuman. To, yeah. And so to yeah. be able to do that, like to feel that pretty much 99% of every day, I should be more thankful of that mm-hmm. than I am, you know? 
So if you could cuddle with anyone in San Francisco, and I know I'm putting you on the spot yeah, here, great. but you know, any client, if you could have any client you wanted in San Francisco, who would it be? Oh, that's a great question. I'm amazed no one's ever asked this to me. Ask me this. Um, this is a hard question. Because I, th- I th- I'm my my brain is going like professionally. Like, where would I like to go right. to have an experience? Like, kind of the. I mean. I think the mayor would be pretty, pretty phenomenal Yeah, just to have that experience like in political office and with a pretty open-minded, cool mayor, but also probably not this open-minded. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and again, to kind of like see, like help expand and just to have that experience to, to um, put that experience into the idea of like, this is a normal human thing. Um, but very clearly in a very non-normal experience with somebody in political office who's running the city. Um, cause when I think about this, I, I, I started this, this whole thing because of, um, human impact, doing good for people and, and pr- providing something that they don't have. Um, and not only just in the personal one-on-one stuff, but just the story of it and, and seeing what can come from, uh, sharing about it and talking about it and just it as an idea like you can cuddle for a living and it's a yeah. profession and it's valuable and because we equate money and value and if people pay for it then it becomes a valuable thing um especially when it goes into the way in which we um do the structure of our cities and the stru- like this whole structure of how this um this country is is built up you know um, politics are are very deeply intertwined in that obviously um, so that's that's kind of the first thing that popped in my mind was yeah the mayor. I thought you know I actually thought maybe that was somebody you would throw out there. <laughs> and, and yeah, I would say if you can get the mayor to cuddle with you, mm-hmm. then that you have definitely achieved a breakthrough in kind of showing the world that this is this is normal mm-hmm. and a good thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know I don't know the mayor, but <laughs> if I ever see him out there, I'll. Uh, I'll put in a good word. Yeah, maybe someone who <laughs> listens to this will make that connection happen. And, yeah, and yeah, it'll either it'll either show like this is a whole new thing that we can do, or like okay, San Francisco is really out there yeah, to the right. rest of the world. Yeah, that's we'll right. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm noticing you know, I'm sitting here with you, and mm-hmm. you're wearing a shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the other thing that there's just loads of stuff out there on the internet about yeah. about you and your shirtless years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've read that you went eight years, mm-hmm. um, without wearing a shirt. Um, but you know, I've read that you went the entire eight years without, I've read that sometimes you did have to put one on for like certain occasions. Mm-hmm. So how shirtless were you for eight years? Um, for eight years I was, I was about, it's about like 95% shirtless. Okay. Um, there were some occasions, like you said, where I just, I, I can't fly to another country if I don't put a shirt on to get on the airplane, I tried several times. So you um, showed up at like security without a shirt. I've been, I've been to the gate several times without a shirt, oh. but I haven't actually gotten onto the airplane ever. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I've been traveling, like I think rap- it'd be easier for them to uh, check right, you out. Right, in security. Right, right. I've had some very odd experiences in security at airports from uh, that. It's yeah. it, nothing, nothing bad. It was just like very interesting and odd like ways because they've never had to interact with somebody trying to, 
get into the airport without a shirt on. I've like museums and airports and all these different places that no one's ever had to handle this or right. deal with it. Um, it's it was it was really really fascinating. But I'm also the whole point of it. One of the whole points is obviously a lot and an eight year daily practice. Um, one of the big points was to kind of um, expand and open up my experience of life and see what else I can I can have access to and um, which which is a lot to say because it's it's a very clear privilege to be able to do it um, being being a male being a white male being a white male in San Francisco in the US um, being someone who ha- is like able-bodied and having all these different things that allow me to do this for so long um, so there's a lot of consciousness and a lot of awareness that came into doing that and that's a big part of what was expanding um, and I was very clearly present in the room everywhere I went, um, and had to like manage that and not ever impose myself anywhere or on anyone. So it was never a huge thing for me to put a shirt on. I was very well aware, like I want to be able to expand into life and some people are just going to instantly resist me. Mm-hmm. Um, and some places I just can't go to. Um, and so I, I, I knew I wasn't trying to like be, hard and strong on my identity of being a shirtless person. You don't understand. I'm shirtless. This is what I do. It's, it's not very <laughs> empathetic. Like I understand where they're coming from also. Yeah. And I can't demand they understand where I come from if I don't do the same. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I was always happy to do so, but it was like kind of, well, where can I go without it? What can I do without it? Yeah. Um, and I mean, in San Francisco I ended up creating a lot of jobs for myself where I don't need a shirt to work and to do things. And so even all my professions, I was, I was shirtless and didn't have to worry about it. And, um, for some cuddle clients, I put a shirt on, uh, but a lot of them, it was all word of mouth and they met me before they knew what I did. And they also heard that part of the story. And I asked them like, Hey, so I'm shirtless. Do you mind if I'm like this in our session? And, and it's, it again, like normalizes the body and normalizes the fact that like you can still touch skin and it's not sexual. Right. Um, so it, it was a very, very fascinating exploration. And actually just nine days ago, uh, ended, I had a big, oh, nine like, days ago, mm-hmm, I just started wearing shirts again. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What, uh, okay. So we're going to come back to that. Yep. Yep. But first I want to know about the first day. Mm-hmm. I want to know what prompted this. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you just wake up one morning and decide to do this or was this kind of building up over time? I mean, I woke up one morning and decided to do this, but it was just for that day. I wasn't planning on it being a thing. I just woke up. I I was like the weekend. I had nothing to do. I was going to go to the beach. I was going to hang out with my friends, just do a whole lot of nothing. I was looking at my day when I was waking up. Right. Like, why am I getting dressed for this? This is weird. I want to be comfortable. (laughs) And I took my jeans off, my t-shirt off, and I put on pajamas. And I'm like, I'm just going to be comfortable the whole time. And for the first like two years, it was shirtless in pajamas. So it was just, I am a creature of comfort. I'm going to relax through this experience of life. Um, and it turned into a lot of different things beyond that. But it it was just a day. And the next day, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep being comfortable. And then after that, like, why would I not be comfortable? And then it just kind of kept going. Right. Yeah. So um, you, you we've talked about a few of the like maybe awkward moments. You know, mm-hmm. like going to the airport when you had to wear a shirt on. <laughs> when you had to put a shirt on, I'm sorry. I want to know, I would imagine you've been in a lot of like uncomfortable or awkward situations oh, tons, with, yeah. without a shirt. And like you said, I mean, everyone in the room is going to like be noticing you. Right. What is the most like uncomfortable or awkward moment you had shirtless 
both from just like a socially awkward moment. I want to hear that. Uh And then number two, from like a physically uncomfortable, like you were really cold moment. Right. Okay. Got it. Um, The cold moment is much easier than the social moment because they were just like a very clear, like this is the coldest place I'd been in. Um, Oh, socially awkward moment. Um, You can give me a few. Yeah. Gosh, I, the thing is, um, it's, it's been, it's been a really long time since I've equated awkward with something that stands out because it's, it's something like, it's a really, it's a place I'm not really afraid of or uncomfortable in like moments of discomfort is a moment of like, Oh, this is a, this is a wall and a boundary and we can like gently touch this Mm -hmm. and rub on it and see what happens. Um, and know that like discomfort is, is a sensation of becoming more open-minded to something else. Um, for me and for other people, like there's awkwardness all around. Um, right. But what I mean, I'm just picturing, you know, the airport is one mm-hmm. I'm picturing you airport's like sitting one. in a nice restaurant shirtless, mm-hmm. or maybe like having some kind of discussion with the host or hostess mm-hmm. about whether they're going to let you in there. Um, meeting, you know, your girlfriend, mm-hmm parents for the first time right you know, <laughs> you know these these are the types of things that are like running through my mind right of like where maybe it wasn't awkward to you because i mean you um are comfortable with this and have been right. doing it for a while but like other people um you know okay so i think um actually they both happened the like physical discomfort and social discomfort happened in the same place okay. um a few years ago i moved to paris for three months um got an apartment like started working there just like kind of like made a little bit um just to kind of test the waters if i can like leave the country and start a new life there and then with the intention of coming back to san francisco um but i I went in the dead of winter in like january february march in one of the coldest one of the coldest years they had in a long time too even the parisians are like i am not prepared for this i don't have jackets that allow me to stay warm enough here um and you know i was bopping around with like a hat and a scarf um, and no shirt and maybe two pairs of pants and two pairs of socks. It was, it was, and sometimes gloves also. It was a comical, <laughs> everything uh, but a shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everything, but you know, torse nu in French, uh, topless. Uh, and that was definitely the kind of the biggest stretch and expansion of my own physical sensation. I've been doing it a long time, so I'm really, I'm, I'm sensitive to sensation, but also very resilient. I don't get cold easily at all. Mm. Um, Clearly, if I can be out there in like 13, 14 degrees for a couple of weeks, uh, which is what, about what it was. It was like a two week stint of like between 13 and 17 degrees um, Fahrenheit. Um, and that was that was definitely like the edge of my my boundaries being tested. Like, can you still stay comfortable when it's this cold? Um, and it still it, it worked. Um, it was definitely it took me a while to kind of be. Um, be okay and be comfortable in it but when it becomes this daily thing the body just adapts pretty mm-hmm. quickly um so that was the coldest i'd ever been in um and therefore also created a lot of especially awkward moments because it's absolutely freezing out and people and there's this crazy american here <laughs> that's shirtless and really colorful and you know there's like a lot of like kind of neutral dark colors kind of Mm -hmm. going on in Parisian culture, especially in the winter when no one wants to be like vibrant and open and we, cause it's cold and they're miserable and they just want to go home and like lay in bed and watch a movie and like go to sleep. Um, totally understandable. 
I wanted to do the same a lot too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it it led to a lot of um, interesting experiences there. And there were a couple times when I was riding the Metro around Paris and like just shirtless hanging out. And there's a, you know, train full of people that are all around me and really kind of uncomfortable. And um, a couple times like Metro police would walk up and just kind of surround me and start hassling me a little bit and like, why yeah. are you shirtless? And apparently it's illegal to be shirtless in Paris. You can't. It's illegal to yeah, be shirtless illegal, in Paris. Yeah. For men, for men also. Yeah. Um, very, very fascinating. I'm, I, I would not have expected that. No, I'm, I mean, I, I didn't expect it, but um, it didn't necessarily surprise me. Um, not, not indicative of that culture in, in particular, just as, as a thing. You know, bodily expression is very clearly a highly shameful thing. Um, but it, it like all of these awkward moments kind of dissolved into funny things because right. it's not some again, not something people generally have to deal with and like, Oh, he's from San Francisco. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this all and that was always my out. Now. That was always my out. And I'm like, I just, I don't have a shirt. I can't put one on. Like I didn't know it was illegal. I'm sorry. And, and I, I would put on a like really thick American accent and speak in French. I, I'd speak French. So it was like easy to communicate with them, but, um, kind of play it down a little bit. Like oh, I didn't know. Cause I, I knew when the first time it happened, but you know, the consecutive times I knew that it was illegal, but still kind of just went for it anyway. I'm like, I really don't think I'm going to get arrested or ticketed for this. So I'm right. still going to try doing it uh, and see what happens. But yeah, yeah, there were plenty of awkward moments out there. Yeah. How did you reason with people? I mean, so I'm thinking of going back again to the airport scenario. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're next in line, you walk up to the agent, mm-hmm. you're shirtless, um, or you're walking to a restaurant, you're talking to the host or hostess, you're shirtless, and they're trying to get you to put a shirt on. Mm-hmm. Or ask, I mean, what are those conversations typically like, and how are you trying to reason with these people that they should let you continue without <laughs> without the shirt? <laughs> well, usually um, I I've, I can give a pretty good read when no, when someone's not going to budge and like <laughs> I'm either going to have to leave or put a shirt on. That's yeah. kind of like the two options and then assess like, do I want to stay or do I want to leave? Cause that's like, am I hanging out with friends? I'm going to want to stay. Do I really need like to do this grocery shopping right now? No, I can leave. Um, and so I, 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 but I always have a, just a human to human conversation, you know, it just allows us the, the time to just have a real chat Right. And tell them about what's going on and a little bit about my story. And people are like, oh, they get kind of interested. And I can I can just see like the cogs rolling in their head. Like, what is, what? who is this guy? What is happening with this? Um, but just, you know, let them talk to them. It depends on who they are. But just talk to them about my, my story, my practice, my experience, kind of why I do it, what's going on with it. Sometimes while putting a shirt on because I know I want to stay there. Um, and, but just have a conversation, you know, there's, there's an, uh, you know, an authority figure that's coming up to me, expecting me to do the thing that they want to. Um, and I, I, they don't feel the pushback cause I, I get it. I'm, I'm, I understand their position and why they want to do this. It's totally understandable. Um, and not feeling the pushback and being, having a conversation that's normal and human. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's really all it takes. You know, there's no like words or phrases to do it, but just to talk to them as if they're a person, um, and have a conversation with them, uh, and then act accordingly depending on want to, if I want to stay or go. Um, right. Yeah. And even if I leave and there's like, Oh, they feel kind of bad. Like, Oh, he was kind of a nice guy. And 
I'm sure you gave them a story. You gave them a great story for dinner or drinks later with their friends. And you never believe what happened. This guy without (laughs) a shirt came in and tried to blah, blah, blah. Right. So you mentioned that, um, was it nine days ago? You said you put, you put a shirt, you started wearing shirts again. Mm -hmm. So why, what prompted that decision? And then, uh, did you do anything special Mm -hmm. for the, uh, for the first shirt? Was there any type of ceremony or anything like that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the why, um, is an interesting question and there, there are just as many reasons why as there were reasons to, to not be wearing it. Um, and I'm still kind of unpacking those cause I'm still kind of experiencing for the first time in my mature adult life being clothed, fully clothed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still understanding why it is, but I knew there was something on the other side of like, and it's, it's time to make the transition. Um, but in a large part, I feel like I kind of got to the plateau of what I what I could learn about this experience, um, and it was also kind of a, a a testament to not kind of self-identifying too strongly with anything, including this thing I've been doing every single day that everyone in my life identifies me with, mm-hmm. and and like pushing into that really uncomfortable space, like oh man, this is gonna be really interesting and I'm going to have a lot of conversations with every single person I run across like you're wearing a shirt what's going on and having to talk about that <laughs> yeah now it's the opposite yeah now, now it's not yeah, like exactly. why aren't you wearing a shirt it's why are you wearing a shirt are you crazy <laughs> exactly <laughs> um and and just seeing the, the hilarity of me in a shirt and the, the presence of a shirt and the presence of a fully clothed person is so shocking to people it's yeah. really it's really interesting um and then for the, for the, like that's, that's one of the many reasons, but it's, just, it's time to, to be a little bit more accessible. You know, my, mm-hmm. my, I, it's a big passion of mine to be accessible and to connect to people and, and people make snap judgments. They look at someone and, and immediately do it. It's, it's what we do. It's a subconscious thing. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but this is an expression of life that is very, people are very resistant to subconsciously cause it's, they're not used to it. They're just like not used to it being a thing. So there's an immediate kind of drawback as soon as they see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just kind of a little overdoing that to so many people all the time. It was a cool, like in the beginning for, for a long time, uh, like a filter of the open-minded people. I'm only talking to them, but I don't, I don't want to just commune and speak with and, and make friendships out of open-minded people. Like there's, there's value in all, in all people. And I want to be able to, to speak with everyone. Um, and invite them to to speak with me and, and to hang out and just in, enjoy a moment of life together. Um, and I can't do that if I'm shirtless for some people. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was another big one too. You know, I'm such a huge like advocate for intimacy and connection. Right. Yet I'm living this lifestyle that pushes so many people away. Um, so now it's kind of the next iteration and, and layer of that. Um, Tell so me about the first shirt. The first shirt, right. <laughs> so I had a... I had a, um, a and a, a large but intimate uh, topless tea party. Uh, okay. It was a great, you know, and, and just like really having a lot of fun with it. Um, I wrote a pretty extensive invitation of like, this is a very, I've developed a lot of um, particular sensitivities and points of awareness and being topless around how we interact with the body. Um, and I wanted to make it really clear around the kind of rules and ways of operating in this space like maintaining eye contact and and not touching one another uh you can touch each other's hands you know some very odd rules of like why would travis not want people to touch each other like he's the touchiest person i know (laughs) but to kind of provide the the safe space to really be in your body and not worry about anything 
being non-consensual because that happens like it's really difficult especially for women in the room to be able to like not invite some people to touch them but not all the time and only when they want it and there's just not a way to verbalize that all the time very easily and it would have been way much higher pressure and stress if that was a thing so i just kind of made a rule of like and i and i made a, a few little rules like this of of making sure that we're relaxing into the body and and not making it a weird thing um and also making it really safe and really comfortable um and there's a lot of talk about like safety and consent and all these things in the Bay area, but I haven't really seen them put to practice very well. Right. Um, and I wanted to have an experience where that, where that was such. Um, and, and it was, it was great. It was phenomenal. It was a really, really incredible time. And then at the end of the night, like part of the invitation, um, it was a free party, but people are invited to bring a top. They would like to see me in. Um, <laughs> cause it's kind of a daunting thing to start a whole wardrobe on my own. And like, what do I buy and get and just kind of see what, see what my community wants to see me in. Um, so at the end I did a little reverse strip tease of putting a shirt on in front of the, the crowd and the audience. And just again, like having a goofy fun time. Um, did you choose one that somebody had brought? Yeah, or I chose one someone had brought. Okay. It was a tuxedo so there was a shirt. Winner. Yeah. Ah, yeah. 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 It was a nice, shirt. yeah, it was a nice, it was a nice shirt and it was fun. And you know, just more fun to put on having buttons and yeah, all that. Yeah. Um, and then really just like expressing my my big ploy to go through this whole giant experience of being the only topless person in the room just so I could be the only person with a shirt on in the oh, room. Oh, okay. Yeah. So nobody else got to put their <laughs> yeah, shirts nobody on. Yeah, I was I the like only that. shirted person in the room, which is an experience I've never had before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this sounds to me like this was the hottest ticket probably in town or the hottest invite in town um, mm -hmm. to get invited to. You should make this an annual an annual thing. I, I definitely want to do it more regularly because it was um I, I do a lot of event event production and, and gatherings at, at my tea houses and I and I wanna be able to um do events that are more like this where there's a clear sense of, of awareness of each other and each other's boundaries um and a lot of freedom at the same time. Um and some restriction to kind of like contain the way in which people can can interact so that there's a whole different way of of learning and growing and connecting with people. Um, and the fact that you have to maintain eye contact and you can't look at each other's bodies without asking um, was a huge, huge mm -hmm. thing for people to just actually look at each other in the eyes as they're hanging out the whole night. Um, it was really, it was really profound, all the little things. Yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting here mm -hmm. uh, at the tea oasis, mm -hmm. uh, your tea house. Um, it's an absolutely beautiful space I had not heard of before. Thanks. And uh, so you guys have to come down and check this out. Um, I want to ask you about the tea oasis and why you started it. Mm -hmm. Um, what your intentions are with it, what kind of space you're trying to, um, create. Sure. Um, I, just a tiny little backstory. I've been doing, um, Gong Fu Chao, which is a Chinese tea ceremony, just sitting in that drinking, drinking tea like that. Kind of what we're doing right now. Uh, little cups, little pots. Delicious. Yeah. That's, thank you. Uh, little pots, little pitchers, little cups. Um, and it, and it invites people to sit around together. Um, not only just invites them, but kind of forces them. You can't take your cup of tea and walk over to the corner and like sit and work on your computer. Um, it's also a device free tea house and it's open late every night up until midnight. Um, and is kind of an alternative social space. Uh, and really a big part of all the different interesting forms of work and business that I've done is, is kind of one of the main intentions is to redevelop 
habits into healthy habits. Um, and a lot of the social habits that we have in, in a lot of American culture involves like hyperstimulation and alcohol, which is not inherently a bad thing, but overconsumption is really, really toxic. And, and it's the only, one of the only ways, especially late night that we can go and, and meet people and hang out with people and just spend social time with our friends outside of anyone's house. Um, and so I wanted to make a, a habit out of that. And so it's it's a membership-based tea house, so people have a monthly membership fee. So there's kind of an incentive to show up a lot because um, you're making use of what your membership is. And, and it creates more of a community also because, you know, there's a clear buy-in of like, oh, you're a member, so you kind of really love this and get it. Why do you really love this and get it? And, mm-hmm. um, but people can come in on a day pass too uh, just to drop in for the day and, and experience, you know, as much tea and tea time as they want. Um but all the tables are communal. It's mostly floor seating. Um, it's, you know, you kick off your shoes when you come in. It's really a place to relax and unwind um, and drink a lot of really healthy herbs and teas. It's all it's all kind of mindfully put together to to create a healthy space for people to, to come together. Um, and, and also, like, practice being social with strangers and mm-hmm. sitting around drinking tea next to someone kind of always gives you an escape if you need it, if you're kind of socially awkward. And I grew up extremely socially awkward, so I definitely really? get it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so being able to like have something to do and like just to be able to sit and experience and drink your tea allows you to, um, to do something, but still be involved to still be there and even just listen to the conversation that other people are having. Um, and it just like brings you closer to people. And that's ultimately what I'm really wanting to do is to help people come closer to one another and develop trust and in, in doing activities that are much healthier for them. Um, so a, a lot, I've a lot of different weird like jobs and forms of income and, and most, if not all of them revolve around promoting a lot of, um, trust and safety and connection between people while doing something healthy. So it's, it's in the lower height. Mm-hmm. Do you also live in the lower height? I do, yeah. So let's talk about your neighborhood mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I want to know what are your three favorite things to do or places to go in the mm-hmm. lower height? Mm. That's a good question. Um, as far as as businesses are concerned? Yeah. Or Restaurants, yeah. cafes, bars, mm-hmm. parks, mm-hmm. tourist attractions. I mean, just anything. Like, you know, just three things you love about the lower height. Cool. Um as a, as a general feel of the neighborhood, um, I, it's, it's really central, um, and one of the flat parts of the city or flatter parts of the city, um, the wiggle, the bike path runs right through here. Uh, it's right in front of my house and, um, there, there's a lot of, um, it's like two blocks over from where I live is when the, the fog kind of cuts off on the not foggy days. Yeah. That's convenient. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's just like, it's sunny. It's a lot more vibrant. Um, people are generally a lot more open on the streets here. It feels a lot more like a neighborhood kind of space with like between Divisadero and Webster on hate kind of thing. It's a nice, nice little like sunny, flat, walkable, interesting neighborhood. Um, and, and yeah, like it just feels like a neighborhood, which is, which is great. Um, I really like to, I really hang out in DeBose Park. I go there a lot. Um, I, I teach acro yoga also acrobatic yoga and I, I teach that a lot in the, in that park hmm. and I just hang out with, with friends and people in that park too. Um, what is acrobatic yoga? Um, it's when th- there, there are two people, there's, there's a base and a flyer. Um, and the base is kind of moving the flyer around the flyers, obviously doing a lot of work too. 
Um, and it's just like a fun, interesting way, again, like bringing platonic, playful kind of childlike connection mm-hmm. and touch. Um, and it's also really like really good for you. It's amazing. It's really like great for your body, flexibility, strength, and, and, and just really the biggest thing is it's super fun. Um, and, and you just kind of move someone around your feet and your, your hands while you're on, on the floor as a base. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, kind of a circus art, but not quite. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. have to check out DeBose Park. I, yeah, it's crazy. I've never been there. Oh, really? But uh, you're the second person recently on the mm-hmm. show that has mentioned that as one of their favorite spots in the city. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, please do. It's it's really great. Um, yeah, so DeBose Park is probably my favorite. Alamo Square is really nice too, but it's if you got to be lucky with it because it gets really windy up there. And that's mm. one of the things most San Franciscans hate about San Francisco is they can handle the cold. They can handle the fog. The wind like just chills them to the bone. Yeah. It's um, been really windy mm-hmm. like here recently. Right. I've noticed that. Right. Um, so yeah, Alamo square, DeBose park. Those are probably my favorite outdoor areas. The panhandle is pretty cool too. Um, and yeah, that's, that's like my outdoor kind of digs. If you'll say that, um, and then in restaurants and bar, I don't really go to bars much anymore. I'm happy to go and, and socialize, but it's not like I have a favorite spot that I go to. Um, I really, I really like Little Chihuahua on Divisadero. It's just this kind of like Cali. On Mexican. my list, never yeah. been. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, looks awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's just, it's just like whenever I need something like nourishing and really filling, and right, it's it's right there, um, a couple blocks from my house. Um, so that's always like a good spot for me. Um, where else in this neighborhood do I like to eat? I usually, I usually leave the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, let's expand that. I always ask Uh everybody, what are their three favorite restaurants Mm -hmm. in all of San Francisco? Mm -hmm. Um, so what would you say? Got it. Um, one of them is definitely, uh, Gracias Madre on mission and 18th. Been there. Yeah. Really good. Yep. That's a great nourishing little spot too. Um, what do you like so much about it? Um, the, the culture of the space is really open and, and fun and interesting. Um, it's always, it's always a, like a lot of, um, kind of relaxed, easy people that both work there and go there to eat. Um, and I like that kind of environment. It's also a lot of, you know, local organic food and it's all, it's all organic and a lot of it's uh, grown on their farm. Um, and it just tastes really good. It's really nourishing. I, I feel really good every time I eat there. Um, I just kind of like have this, this buzz, um, <laughs> when I, whenever I leave. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely one of the spots. Um, gosh, where else? Um, oh, there was, gosh, I haven't even, I haven't been there in ages. It's up on Geary and Masonic. It's, um, Magnolia? an Eritrean place. Um, oh. I haven't been to Magnolia, but I've heard great things about that too. Yeah. It's one of my favorite spots. That's, I can't. I don't know the, the spot you're talking about. Oh, though. man, what is it? I forgot the name of it. Well, what type of place is it again? Eritrean. It's like Ethiopia. It's the country oh, okay. next to Ethiopia. Okay. Um, or one of the countries next to Ethiopia. Um, That's okay. I can look it up and yeah. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, like Assam or Assab or Assam's a T. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's somewhere in that area. You'll, you'll see it. Okay. Um, and then a third one. Ooh. can't really think of that 
really, I, 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 I cook a lot and yeah. eat a lot at home and rainbow grocery is like my spot to go get all of the stuff that I, that I cook and eat at home. That's, nice. that's, I, I generally do a lot of like that. Um, it's just really nourishing and feels good to, to make my own food and, and with and for people. I really like to cook for people too. So that's really the majority of my, my, um, my habits is like cooking and eating with people in homes. So San Francisco homes, like all of them. Are there you always go. Great you just named eat. your place. San yeah. Francisco homes yeah, is, your exactly. third, is your third spot. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it sounds like you love San Francisco. You mm-hmm. said this is your favorite place you've ever lived. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm guessing you're probably not going to be leaving anytime soon. Um, but I always ask everybody if they had to move away, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, how would you spend your last day? in San Francisco before you left? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I might, I think I might just invite everyone that I, that I know or would care to come, um, up to Baker beach if it's like the perfect sunny day and just lay on Baker beach naked. And like, it's, (laughs) it's, it's my favorite. It's like the, the one nude beach in San Francisco and, I love just like soaking up the sun there. Um, and it's a place where, where there's not like, it's, it's a beach. It's fine. You can be in your body and you can show it off and it's not going to be a a weird thing. And, and it's it's not a place you go to show off your body, but to, to just relax into it and soak in the sun and then jump in the ocean. And I love jumping in the ocean here. Um, well, I've never done it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's never done. It's an experience. Yeah. 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 You will, um, feel life. You'll feel alive when you jump into that that. ocean. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's every time I go to Baker beach, it's just such a good day when I give myself the time to do something like, like that. And, um, it's great. And yeah, I I think I, I would just, I would spend all day there and then kind of continue the, the social gathering of everyone I know into some large place, someone's home, someone's warehouse, someone's somewhere and just have music, dancing, giant cuddle space, um, tea, like a, again, a really like nourishing last hurrah of, of San Francisco and to bring everybody together. And, and I actually, I travel every year, um, and leave the country for two or three months and I kind of have a like little going away party just as an excuse to bring people together and I won't see them for a few months. Um, and, and it's, it's usually like that, like a tea dancing party where we all come together and cook and and eat food together. Naked sunbathing, drinking tea and dancing. Mm -hmm. That's a hell of a day right there. (laughs) A lot of people who only read about Travis, they've, they've, they've never met him in person. They just... They get online, they read a few articles. They, a lot of them are probably going to say, man, this, this guy's weird. The dude does a lot of weird stuff. Um, but he's not. He's not weird at all. In fact, he is just an extremely hospitable, friendly, and thoughtful guy. I spent over an hour talking with him this morning and uh, just really enjoyed it. What's most remarkable is that when he talks about all of these crazy and interesting things that he's done, he makes them seem like they're the most normal, everyday thing in the world, uh, that they're no big deal at all. So, I mean, 
Later that afternoon, after we had talked, he even had me thinking that maybe I should go down to Baker Beach, strip down naked, get some sun, and then jump into the ocean. Nah, nah, not really. But sign me up for his next topless tea party. That is for sure. You can read more about Travis and get links to everything we talked about on the San Francisco People website. That's sfpeoplepodcast.com. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow the show at sfpeoplepodcast. Also, if you tweet about somebody from San Francisco doing something interesting, tag your tweet with hashtag sfpeople. I'll be following those to get new ideas for the show and looking for new guests. If you prefer, you could also send me an email to frank at sfpeoplepodcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. We'll be back in a few weeks. I'm Frank Garza for San Francisco People. Thank you.